to stand for the reading of one verse out of Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, around midnight, almost midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them about midnight. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. I mentioned a little bit in the announcements about fresh expressions, and... One of the questions that was asked during the training we had to discuss, and I had a couple from a church in Tennessee who had been uh, coming to the United Methodist Church as members for 10 years, and uh, they asked us where in our community could we find new places to go to meet people, and they said, well, we can't do that. And I said, why not? They said, because there's 20 churches in our community of 2,000 and they will be offended if we take someone from one of their churches that they could have had. Then we began talking about other ways. Instead of going to that church and getting someone from that church and bringing it to your church, people who aren't going to church anywhere. And then they finally got the idea that you're not trying to go to another church to get someone who's already a believer. And they said, well, there's a coffee shop. Maybe we could go there. So I was, I was pleased to know that. But fresh expression isn't about just going to a coffee shop and making relationships. Along the way, as you learn their life and their story, is to present Jesus to them as well. The Gospel. That's what changes lives. But what was interesting is in the room when they suggested that that would be church in a coffee shop. Some people are saying... Well, do you take up an offering, sing songs, have a Bible study, you know, preach a sermon? What do you do? And they said, no, you just talk to each other about their struggles and their stories, get to know one another. And over time, not the first time, not the second maybe, but over time, begin to institute Jesus into the conversation. And they call that church. And people go, well, we've never done anything like this before. And I said to myself, a lot of people will call that radical Christianity. I don't think it is. I think that's normal Christianity. That you talk to people and get to know them and love people and share your heart with them with the things that are important to you along the way. Why would that be something that would be new? (laughs) How did we all get here? Other than some of us with our family when we were young, but some of us had to end up somewhere to get to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We didn't have it when we were born. We got there somehow. Yet a lot of people think that talking to someone about Jesus that's not in church on a Sunday or or Wednesday or another day of the week in the church building would be radical. It is not radical. It's normal. It's not only normal, it should be, duh, of course. Radical Christianity would be going to Calvary. Radical Christianity would be Paul and Silas in prison at midnight singing and praising God 
and having an audience of prisoners that they're now teaching about Jesus Christ at midnight. That might be a little radical. Especially at midnight. You say, why is that? Well, let me share something with you. First of all, it would be hard to believe that you could do that unless you're on fire for God. Unless you really have a burning passion for lost and broken and a love for Jesus in your heart. Do you have a fire in your heart for God today? Is the Holy Spirit kindling a hunger and a thirst for others to get to know Him? That's my question this morning. But I want to share with you, it was at midnight. And you say, well, well, you know, Paul was, you know, he was the apostle. He was, you know, he's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. Of course he's going to do that. He's, you know, better than everybody else. Did you see his credentials? <laughs> do you say you want a felon up here saying he's better than the rest of us? Not only a felon, in jail, more times than he could count, shipwrecked, whipped, with whips, 39 lashes, three times, which is one less than death, beaten with rods, snake bit, mentioned to, shall I say, starving, neglected, all of it in the course of being honored to have done so for Jesus. That is radical. But in this prison, they are there, Paul and, oh, that other guy, Silas. Let's just say it's you and me. We're not Paul. What's Silas doing? Complaining? He's singing and praising God and he didn't get but one line in the Bible. Maybe a two. But he didn't get a whole lot of buddy. So you can't say it's all about Paul. He's a great apostle. It's Silas as well. At midnight. In prison. But what's the circumstances? What's going on? Well, let's first of all break down what this midnight thing is because it's important. If you Google the word doomsday clock, doomsday clock is this thing that counts down until the end of the world. It gets so bad, the turmoil, that it would be over at midnight. And last year, it notched up two minutes closer to midnight. If you're not sure what two minutes closer to midnight means, it's three minutes before midnight on the world doomsday clock. I hesitate to wonder what it will be after our election. <laughs> or on January 20th and thereafter, when whoever is president begins to institute more minutes off or on the clock. I don't know. But it's almost midnight, according to Doomsday. And it's almost midnight, and Paul and Silas are in prison. And in Matthew 25, there's a story about midnight. And I don't, we don't normally talk about this story in terms of what time of day, but there's a story of ten virgins. And, and they have to keep the oil lit in their lamp so that when the bridegroom comes, they'll, he'll pick one of them. Well, five of them are foolish, it says. And they run out of oil, so they go and get more oil. <laughs> Now, that, that sounds like a normal thing, but the time of day that they run out of oil is a few minutes before midnight. So they're looking for oil just before midnight. And it says that the bridegroom came at midnight with a cry. 
at the midnight cry, Jesus came and the five who had lit their candles wisely were welcomed. And the five who did not were left out because they didn't think He would come at midnight. Well, it's almost midnight for Paul and Silas. Amazing story. But let me tell you some backstory. We'll go back to verse 14, same chapter. Excuse me, 16. It says, Now they went up to prayer, and a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met them. Spirit of divination is um, sorcery, basically. Fortune telling. And she brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed. Paul and us, and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Not a good picture. And they brought them to the magistrates. The magistrates would be kind of like the ruling authority of that community. This community was Philippi, the same place where the church of the book of Philippians was written to. And it says, they drug him before the magistrates and said, these men being Jews, (laughs) exceedingly trouble our city. Now, Philippi is a Roman city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, the wooden rods that they had were, I think, three in number, bound together, which is why they call them rods. And whoever was in authority, including the authorities of the city, had them to show that they were from the Roman government and had that power in their hand. And they were the ones who took those rods and beat Paul and Silas violently. And when they had laid many stripes on them, stripes being, of course, lashes with the rods, They threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, the jailer put them in the inner prison, the deepest part, and fastened their feet in stocks. Locked in. Deepest part of prison. You know what happens to Jews in that community once they're put in the deepest part of prison? Neglect. Followed by a fair execution. A trial, I mean. The jailer puts them in the deepest part of the jail because they want these guys held fast. Now get this. The jailer lives in the jail. And he says, I will keep them in the deepest part so that when the Romans come back who pay me to hold them, they'll still be here. And I'm going to lock them up tight, just not only behind bars, but in cuffs. And there Paul and Silas are in the deepest part of jail, bleeding, because they talked about Jesus. Would you have been angry at God 
complaining how bad your back hurt, how painful it was to be there, and saying, boy, I wish I could just fall asleep. The other prisoners going, ha ha ha, look at you, what about your Jesus, right? Laughing at them. They could have been angry at God. It makes sense to me. I might have been. But they were not. But they were in jail for doing His work. Doing the Gospel. But there were no complaints. You look through Scripture, Paul says, I do not complain. I refuse to complain about anything. He did not complain. But around midnight, he's still awake with the pain. And Paul later writes about this experience in the book of Thessalonians. He says, we were abused shamefully at Philippi. That's Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. I think it is, or verse 1, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, where he says that. But that's all he says about it. He doesn't complain about it. He says we were abused shamefully. And at midnight, they're awake with the pain, and the verse we started off with says that they were praying and praising or singing hymns to God at midnight. I don't know about you, but I would rather be asleep at midnight. My wife will testify to that. She knows. But listen to this. It says, all, not some, all of the prisoners were listening to them at midnight. There are some churches people won't stay 20 minutes beyond service in. This is midnight. There's other places it says Paul was preaching and, and they begged him to stay and it says he spoke from the time he got there till midnight. One day, he, uh, one occasion, he preached two days straight and a guy fell asleep in the third balcony and fell down dead. Paul said, you're not down on my watch. Revived him back up and said, now listen. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's crazy. That's radical. What we're doing isn't radical. But they're listening. Why aren't the prisoners asleep? Why are they listening to Paul and Silas? Because they've heard the story. These guys have been beaten, thrown into jail, and i got to tell you, you may not know this, and some of us do, there's a grapevine in the jail. Well, it happens in one jail, another jail hears about it before the other guards do. There is a grapevine. When someone new comes in, everybody knows their history before they even get out of the holding cell, most likely. It's a fact. No different that day as it is now. So all the prisoners knew what was going on, but they were listening to Paul and Silas. And get this, they weren't asleep. They're listening to them pray and sing praises. Now, I don't know about you, but in this society and day and time, we'd be going, I hope those other prisoners don't sue me for violating and offending them. Hope that NAACP or those other groups take action on us because we are violating their rights. Hopefully those prisoners, those Roman prisoners aren't atheists because they'll hate us. We're talking about... They didn't do that. They were praying out loud and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. It does not say they were complaining. It does not say they were sleeping. They were listening at midnight. Shortly thereafter, an earthquake. Maybe you've heard the story. An earthquake. 
the foundations of that very prison were shaken, the doors opened, and everyone's shackles and bonds and chains fall off. They're loosed. Every prisoner, get this, is free. Now, I'm thinking they're free in two ways. I'm thinking they got saved by the word of Paul and Silas and by the physical freedom of no more chains on them. And all the doors open. Now, these are prisoners who are supposed to be there. They earned the right to be in jail, shall we say. And here they are in the jail and the doors are open, convicts, and the shackles are off, and it's middle of the night. Hey, perfect time for a jailbreak. The jailer's asleep. I hear him snoring over there. Let's go. None of them leave. Not one. None leave. My question to myself and to you this morning is why didn't they leave? Well, let me ask you this. What would they have left to go to at midnight? Where would they go? To their families? To the people who've thrown them in jail? They're going to be rounded up and brought back in as being jailbreakers. What are they going to go to? Oh, we're free! Where are we going? And they say, wait a minute. There's something here more important than that freedom out there that these guys got. I want it. Because they're in jail and they're happy and I'm miserable. Have you ever found something so powerful in your life that everything else just wasn't important? Like the Pearl of Great Price where the jeweler found it and sold everything else for one thing. Or the one who found the treasure buried in the field and sold everything else he had to buy that field to get that treasure. Jesus said this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of heaven is like that. And so here they are. Saved. I think because there's two kinds of freedom. One that isn't really free because you can feel locked up and never be in jail. Bound by things that will destroy you and hurt you. I think they got faith and realized they needed more from their life than what they settled on. I really believe that. Now, maybe you don't know what I mean by that. They're in jail because they did something wrong. So they weren't satisfied with their life and had to try and manipulate the system, shall we say, to find their way around this, the law. But they got caught. Legally caught. And they settled for less than a good life. Jail for them. Once you go to jail... A lot of times people go back because they become institutionalized. These guys didn't know any better. But when they heard, get this, when they heard about Jesus and the doors were all free and open, they said, wait a minute, I'd rather be in prison with Jesus than out there without him. Catch that. Other than that, Kairos. People would rather be in prison with Jesus than outside of prison without him. And it's a fact. And so the jailer wakes up. Apparently it took an earthquake to wake him. <laughs> and he looks around and the doors are open. And he looks and he sees the chains which he had fastened are all loose. And all the stocks emptied. And 
and in the morning, followed by a fair trial or execution, he's going to be the next one in the jail and executed. This is what's going to happen. And so the jailer says, I'm going to save the Roman authorities the trouble. I'm going to cut out the middleman. I'm going to take my sword or my knife and I'm just going to take my life. And Paul sees him. Now, do not miss this in this story. The jailer can't find the prisoners. You're missing this if you don't get this. People think, well, the stocks are broken. They didn't leave. So they're just laying there where they were. No! That's not what happened. Get the bigger picture in your head. They all went to where Paul and Silas were. They all went around them and began to pray for one another and lift up and get saved by Jesus Christ. In that room, they all left their cells to go to Paul's. They're all in one place. That's what Paul says. We're all right here. Don't miss that. He says, we're all right here. Not we're all over there, there, there. We're all right here. And the chairman comes and goes, what just happened? How? What? Okay. Uh, uh, everybody's here and y'all can leave, but you're, you went deeper in. Get this. The shallow prisoners went into the deeper hellhole. Because that's where Jesus was. So they could find Him. They all went to have church in the middle of the prison after midnight now. They've had an earthquake that woke them up, basically. They're going to, further into the cell, and Paul's looking at the jailer, and the jailer comes and goes, he's frantic. You know he is. I'm going to tell him to die. The Romans are going to take my life. And they come to that cell where, where they are gathered for their service of worship in the cell, praying, singing hymns, and, and he goes, then it's not written here. What just happened? And all the prisoners go in. That's Jesus he's talking about. It's real. And we'd rather be here than out there. And the jailer says, what are you talking about? They said, we just got saved. We got sozoed. <laughs> so the word is saved. Sozo. A dramatic change. And they're all, the prisoners are singing and praising God. And the jailer says, I want that. I don't know what it is, but I want it. And Paul says, after he says, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will have the same experience they have. And if your family believes, they will too. Isn't that amazing? Now, here's what happens. And, and this is so important. And I think where the whole crux of the faith happens. It's not the greatness of the church service in the middle of the jail, but what the jailer does. Now remember, he's thrown him in the worst part of prison. And they're all happy there. He doesn't get it. But he um, spoke, Paul spoke the word of the Lord and all of the jailer's household, which means either they came in or he brought them out. I think he brought them in. And it says that that same hour of the night, the jailer washed their stripes where they'd been beaten. And immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Um, you got to realize this is 1 a.m. Paul's been in jail for at least three hours, maybe seven. And the jailer put him in and put him in the worst part because he knows he's a criminal. 
you see how people treat criminals and, and how all this violence about people being mistreated by law enforcers. The jailer was just like that. And here they are. And the jailer says, I'm going to wash your wounds. But listen, before that, he was letting them bleed out and lay on a prison floor with dirt and the wounds on their back without compassion. That breaks my heart because he saw their pain, but he saw them as criminals, not people. And that breaks my heart. Maybe it breaks your heart. But when the jailer found Jesus, the first thing he did was have compassion. It's the first fruit of being saved. It's compassion. And he washed their wounds, and he and his family were baptized. And now I'm thinking it's going to take a while. It's probably around two or three in the morning now. And it's and, and the jailer says to his wife or whoever, "Get him something to eat. They haven't eaten. Get him something to eat." <laughs> How many of you at three in the morning are going to tell someone knocks on your door and say, "Let's wash up some dinner. Let's get somebody to eat." Do you see radical? Are you starting to see what radical is? We don't do that. That would be radical. Not I don't tell people about Jesus. That's not radical. He takes on the nature and character of God's love. Before, He could have cared less. After He knew Jesus, He couldn't have cared more. In Revelation, we read this. There was a new heaven and a new earth, and God began to wipe all all the tears from the eyes, all the sickness, all the pain, all the death, no more. God was compassionate. He mended the broken. God does that in Revelation. Near the end of the book, you can read it later. Hear the jailer is doing an act of God, wiping away the tears and the pain. He's acting like a representative of God in the world. This is not radical. This is expected if God's in your heart. You just do it because you love. Love does crazy things that love someone doesn't love wouldn't do. In the middle of the night, He washes them. He makes food. Who does that for a prisoner? Let alone someone else. I get grumpy when the dog wants to go out. My wife takes the dog out. And that's not feeding him. That's just a bathroom break. But isn't what the jailer did an act of grace? Grace is a significant mark of belonging to God. You can't do that without Jesus in your heart. You won't do that. It makes no sense. Why would anybody do that? Says a non-Christian. Christian says... Why would anybody not do that? So what keeps you from sharing the love of Jesus Christ other than the fact that you may have let it go cold? You see, quiet Christianity does not exist. Silent Christians are those with dead faith. Do you want to be on fire for God? In the book of Philippians, Paul states, he's a Roman of the highest orders, chapter 3, a proud Roman, to say the least. Because of this background, he appealed to his Roman citizenship on many occasions, including this story later, where he gets set free by the magistrates. Had he not been a Roman citizen, 
none of the story would play out like it did. But I want you to hear the rest of the story. And when you hear this from Philippians chapter 1, you will understand exactly what Paul's talking about. Out of context, it's on the screen. Out of context, it sounds like he's talking about his current state of affairs. He's talking about this time with Paul and Silas. Listen to this. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard including the jailer and all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident because of my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you see what Paul's saying? The jailer got it. All the palace guard get it because he's confident in Jesus Christ. You won't do that if you don't think God's going to back you up or that you don't think He's real. But now you know the rest of the story that Paul's looking back and saying he used that to get the jailer. <laughs> and Philippians, the Philippian community became a very strong church. And Paul, when he wrote them, said, and you know what I went through for the Gospel for you. Now you know what he went through for the Gospel for them. Do you think silence makes a difference? Yes, it does. Sometimes our sins of omission cause more damage. And our words not spoken cause more damage than anything we could have done. But I must share with you this. It's a prayer by St. Patrick. You all may not know who St. Patrick is. He's just somebody who wrote a wonderful prayer. And this is what he said. I establish myself today in the power of God to guide me, the might of God to uphold me, the wisdom of God to teach me, the eye of God to watch over me, the ear of God to hear me, the word of God to speak to me, the hand of God to protect me, the way of God to lie before me, the shield of God to shelter me, the hosts of God to defend me, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in my left, Christ at my right, Christ in breadth, in length, in height. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks to me. Christ in the ear of every man who hears me. Confident in Christ. This is his prayer. My prayer is this. God, give me a heart that breaks when injustice, pain, and my lack of action affect the lives around me. Lord, convict us of the necessity to live out the gospel in real terms for real lives. Would you pray with me? God, there's a world of hurting people surrounding me every day and I've turned a blind eye to them. I have reason that because their problems are not of my making, they're not my responsibility or concern. 
Each person I meet has a broken place. Yet I've not listened to their stories. I've treated as inconveniences their interruptions in my life. And rather than seeing them as broken people, I've responded with insensitivity and impatience. There have been lives that could have been touched, hearts that could have turned towards you, and families that could have been together today. But my sin of omission has borne fruit. Do not let my neglect continue to have adverse effect in their lives. Have mercy on me, O God, for my carelessness with your grace. Please forgive me for my reluctance in moments of opportunity, for my silence in times of need, and for my hesitancy to acknowledge you before others. Renew me with a fresh fire from your Holy Spirit. Remove my hard heart and place within me a heart of flesh. Remind me that you are still calling me to a holy boldness which does not know how to shrink back in fear or hesitation to to kindle your holy love and to do all things in the name of Jesus Christ. It is in His name that I glorify your holy name now as I seek you. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that I ask you to hear my confession, my petitions and prayer. Amen. If that is your prayer and your cry of your heart, I invite you as we sing it as well with my soul to acknowledge that it is well with your soul before God. And if not, if you're not on fire and you wouldn't have stayed up to midnight with the others, you haven't found this kind of Jesus yet. I invite you to come forward and talk about it, pray about it, and get that relationship where it needs to be. As we sing, you come and I'll pray with you and I'll help you.